Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. God is not found in some bricks. God is not found just in the people who speak up front or who sing up front. The elements, the worship, the scriptures, it all just points back to you that you are the body of Christ and that God is speaking through each and every one of you. So, if you find three or four people around you, we have a question that you can easily answer in five minutes. What's your purpose? Enjoy. Richard Rohr says this famous line that the, the toughest job that you'll ever have is to be human. And I believe that, and that no one ever gives you a mission statement for your life. Uh, maybe you've signed up for some big things in your life. Maybe you've been in serious relationships, or you've gotten married, or you got a certain type of job, or you had kids, and no one wrote a how-to book for that specific relationship. You kind of figure it out as you go. And what I love about the Torah, that we're in these first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it's that there's a lot of narratives that are provided for us of the figuring out of what it means to be human. For so many of us, the stories of God that we were given were stories of certitude, that A plus B equals C, that if you just do these things, say these prayers, have these quiet times, and never think of like naked people, then God will bless you, or some version of that. And I know I'm like oversimplifying it, but we were all there in some way. We had these things, we thought, God, if I just do these things, then you're going to respond to me in this way. And then it didn't happen, and you had to make sense of it. And so I believe that the Torah is helpful for us because it gives us an opportunity to think about our own mission, that what God is constantly inviting the people of God into is to participate in with the mission with God, that we are all living in the evolution of this mission statement. And so my big idea today is simply that, we're going to see it, yeah, an invitation to mission. And mission is simply this, what you're here to do. Now I know that we live in a world of like the type of person that we're becoming and what we want to be, and that's all a part of it. But the type of person that you're becoming and who you want to be, you're going to actually go do some things in the world. And so God is inviting us to go do some things in the world, and that's the mission that we're living in together. And so to talk about mission, we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about Elon Musk because, you know, he's going to buy Twitter. So if we can talk about Elon Musk, then we can talk about my favorite. Uh, Some people don't like it. I don't know what to tell you. Get $200 billion and get it yourself, I guess. Um, (laughs) Then if we can talk about Elon Musk, then we'll talk about my favorite rabbi story, Rabbi Akiva. And if we can talk about Rabbi Akiva, then, you know, a simple thing like, time. And if we can talk about time, then we can talk about our promised land. If we can think about the promised land, then we can be invited into a story of being co-liberators. And if we can be co-liberators, then maybe we can rethink what it is to have conflict. And if we can live in conflict in a different way, well then, the simple thing of human beings, relationships, my friends. So Elon Musk is, you know, this crazy brainiac. When Elon Musk was at Stanford. His graduate paper was about three things. It was about changing the internet, changing the automobile industry, and changing the space industry. Bragger, right? What an overachiever. What were some of your mission statements leaving college? Like, get out of the basement, you know, like, job, any kind. Elon Musk did those things. He started off and created PayPal and sold it for like billions of dollars, right? And he's used that money and leveraged the work that he's done in the world to go create a bigger mission around the automobile industry. And really the mission of his life is to colonize Mars because 
You gotta have something to do from nine to five. You know what I'm saying? And I've shared this before, but I've been inspired by Elon Musk and how he goes about it. There was a season of Elon Musk's lives where he was buying up all of this real estate in Beverly Hills because he wanted to create his Tony Stark mega mansion. This is not a joke, by the way. And he had this big idea of how he's going to create his Tony Stark mega mansion because he's Elon Musk. And about two years ago, he thought to himself, if I spend any more time thinking about my house, then I'm not going to have enough brain space and brain cycles to think about how I get humanity to Mars. Talk about a guy who's committed. Right? And so he moves to Austin. He lives in this like $50,000 house in the outskirts of Austin because he just wants as much brain space as possible to live out his mission. And his mission is to get humanity to colonize Mars. And now to colonize Mars, it's going to require some things. To colonize Mars, it's, you have to be practical. You have to have the right people. You have to be patient. There's some things that we need to increase. Elon Musk recognizes that the current rockets that we have do not provide enough power to get us to Mars in a reasonable amount of time, which creates huge issues. If you leave people on Mars and someone's like got something going on, it's hard to say like, see you in six months. You need a little bit more power to get there and to get back. And you have to decrease the cost of building rockets. That all of the rockets that we have currently in the world have cost somewhere around $200 million every time that we ship it to space. That the space shuttle, when we were still launching that, would cost us about a billion dollars every time we sent it to space. And currently, SpaceX and Elon Musk is figuring out how to send rockets to space for around $20 million a pop. A tenth of the cost of what the U.S. government was doing it at. The point is, somebody is committed to their mission and what they are doing in the world. And I like that story of Elon Musk going to Mars because that's his big why in the world. That's his purpose. And he has to be reasonable with his why and purpose. And I think for so many of us, we have these concepts and ideas of who we want to be and what we want to do, and then we're not reasonable with ourselves about it. Or we're not gracious with ourselves about it. Elon Musk doesn't say something like, I want to colonize Mars. And it's like, well, how are you going to do it? You know, like through osmosis, man, and like in a year or some just like abstract dream. No, Elon Musk has this idea of colonizing Mars and he knows it's this massive 10 to 20 year plan. He, he knows what it will require financially, the people involved and the steps that it will take. And maybe for us, as you're thinking about your purpose and your mission in this world, maybe you have the opportunity just to simply be reasonable with yourself to be gracious to yourself, to know that you don't have to have it all figured out, that you don't have to have some pressure on yourself now that you're trying to get humanity to Mars. Maybe for some of you, the big why in your life in this moment is to get through college. The why that you have in this moment is to work through that relationship. The why that you have in this moment is just the next thing in front of you, and that is beautiful and good for the world. But that no one is writing the book for your life. No one is writing the how-to for what your purpose should be. Only you will do that. But as you imagine that, as you dream of your big why, the story of Exodus that we're in is that God partners with us in those things and that we partner with God in this bigger mission and that together we tell the biggest story for the world. So follow along with me in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flocks to the, the flocks, the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. 
Exodus is trying to get us engaged in the story of where Moses has been at. If you remember in Exodus before, uh, Moses had an interesting beginning. He was born to a Jewish family. Bad time to be born to a Jewish family because Pharaoh wanted to kill all the firstborn Jewish children. That the Israelites had made their way to Egypt because 400 years before, there was a famine in the land. And if you remember, there was a famine in the land even before that narrative, that there was a guy named Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. And out of those 12 sons, he loved one named Joseph. Joseph a lot, and his other brothers didn't like that they loved Joseph. He loved Joseph so much, and so his brothers decided to kill their brother Joseph. Again, Game of Thrones kind of stuff going on here in the Bible. And so they tried killing Joseph, but then he didn't end up getting killed. He ended up getting sold into slavery, and he moved to Egypt. And when he was in Egypt, he ended up rising to second in command of Pharaoh. And because of that, he had the resources and the ability to provide for his family and to provide a path forward for the purposes of God. Because if you remember, even before that, that God had made some promises to Abraham and to Isaac, and that those promises were of children and land. Because in the ancient world, children and land simply mean blessing. It means that you have the ability to continue on. It's the idea of eternal life. If you have children and land, now your children have a place to be, and then they can have more children, and your legacy can continue in the world. So there was promises and promises and promises that were made here, and this is the continuation of that story. But now we're in a part of the story with Moses where things have gone awry that the people of God, the Israelites, are no longer in power and in control. In fact, they are now slaves, and they've been slaves for 400 years. And in this story, you might remember that Moses' mom knew what was going on, so Moses' sister took baby Moses, put him in a reed basket, right? And then eventually Pharaoh's daughter found Moses. And you have this entire story of Moses, this Israelite, growing up in the house of Pharaoh. And then you realize that Moses is conflicted inside. And eventually Moses will go and he will see two Israelites fighting. He'll get in the way of that. And eventually he'll see an Egyptian trying to kill an Israelite and he will kill that person. And now Moses is on the run. You're all caught up, my friends. And if you would like a recap on that story, all you have to read is Genesis 12 through Exodus 3 on your own. Enjoy this week. (laughs) And so Moses is now on the run in Midian. The Bible does all these funny things with numbers. One of the funny things it does with numbers is the year 40. And so the first 40 years of Moses' life, he is in Israel. The second 40 years of Moses' life, he is in Midian. It's the Bible's way of kind of talking about construction and deconstruction and reconstruction. The construction of Moses' life was when he was in Egypt, right? That is just the story and the narrative that he has been given. All of you are the exact same way. There was just a family that you were born into at a certain time and place in history. You didn't choose any of those things. And that family gave you a set of ideals and narratives about who you are and what the world looks like. And then at some point, you either like go on social media, go to college, or read a blog, and you have all new views of the world, right? Or you're just an adolescent, you got like hormones rushing through your body, and you start to ask some questions. The Bible is just trying to be real about our natural transitions in life. And so Moses had a version of construction that he was given, and this version of the world no longer worked for him. And so he left Egypt, and now he was in Midian, and this is where he is deconstructing. Here's some things about deconstruction, because many of you might be here in your place in life. Sometimes in deconstructions, we just need to let ourselves rest. We need to let some things lay fallow. We need to let ourselves just be taken care of. 
Because the truth is, there may have been some things that were traumatic in your story before that you're figuring out, and you're not going to solve all of it right now. Imagine for Moses, he was born into a world of genocide, where his mom had to like sneak him off to live in another house, right? There were some crazy things going on in his own narrative, and eventually he has to leave these things, leave all the people he loves and all the people that he knows so that he can go into another world. And so Midian is this idea of transition, It's this period of waiting. The next 40 years of Moses' life are going to be when Moses actually goes back to Egypt, all of the fireworks of God in the Exodus story, watch the Prince of Egypt again, right? That narrative, and then the people of God in the wilderness. So Moses is simply the exemplar. Moses is the person that the people of God can look to of, oh, this is going to be my story. So Moses goes to the wilderness, and he spends 40 years there, and it's the Bible's way of saying, Moses can't give what he doesn't have. In order for Moses to be the guy who shepherds the flock of God, the people of God, he needs to go spend some time in the wilderness himself. How many of us are deconstructing, letting go of some things, and we're bigger fundamentalists now than we were before? And I think, yeah, some of you are like, I feel guilty right now. That's okay. And I do believe that in liberalism at the moment, we have a huge level of fundamentalism, that we've traded one set of absolutes for another set of absolutes. And the hard thing about that is is that what we're looking for is freedom. The answer is not leaving the fundamentalism of the conservatism that you came from. The answer is not picking the fundamentalism of the liberalism that you're moving into. The answer is a third way, a way of being transformed, a way of being healed, and a way of being matured in the world. And this story is inviting us into it. The scripture goes on and says this, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, and Moses saw that through the bush, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Some of you have many edibles and had some similar experiences yourself. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. As we live in this invitation to mission, there's an invitation into other things in our lives. As we live into mission, we have to live into real time. That The Bible does this really incredible thing, particularly through the Hebrew stories, where the Bible invites us into past and present and future. Now, for many of you, that's just the way that you understand time. But you have to know that 3,500 years ago, in the entire world, time was not seen in that way. Time was seen as this vicious cycle. You were either born into the world as a pharaoh or you were born into the world as a slave. And the story that was told to you is that the gods ordained this thing. And so time is not linear. Time never opens up from past, present, to future. Because when you think about time with future, it provides you the opportunity to hope. And in the ancient world, there is no hope. This is the world that you were born into, and you are here to build things for the pharaohs and for the kings and for the gods. And so this is a story of God entering into time, inviting us into it and into mission and breaking ourselves free from time. What's interesting is many of us don't live in that ancient world anymore, but you've been living in time that way. That the time that you're living in, maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you feel like you're in cycles and patterns that you can't get out of. Maybe you feel like that there's rhythms that you can't go anywhere. 
And the story of this is God first looking into the past and saying, remember that I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Remember the stories of how I have been your God before. I am not a God showing up out of a vacuum. Remember that time that for your great-grandfather, I was there and they thought that they would be barren, that they thought that they would never have children, that they thought that it would never work out for them and that it did. Remember that they were in Egypt and I freed them from it. Remember the story of your, your uncles and your, and your fathers of Jacob and Esau and how they fought and the family drama that was going on there and how Esau wanted to kill them. You think your Thanksgiving table was crazy. Remember the time that the people were rescued. Remember the time that you moved to Egypt because I wanted to rescue all of you. Remember the time that I was there for you. And this isn't just a story about 3,500 years ago of God saying, remember that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that we're invited into mission, we're invited to the practicality of our own lives. Maybe this is a moment for you that when you hear those verses in the Bible, it's a moment for you to remember all the times that God showed up in your past. And I believe that in a room like this, that you have those times, that you can name that. There's moments of gratitude where you can say, yeah, God was there. Man, I don't know what, I'm figuring out some things right now. I don't know how to make sense of all of that, but I believe God was there. Maybe it's even an opportunity for you to be gracious about some of those moments in the past. I used to be a preacher at Hume Lake. Anyone know what Hume Lake is? I saw some of you I, roll your eyes so fast. That was truly <laughs> unbelievable. And I questioned some of those moments of being the person who did like the altar calls and all of those things, right? Oh, that was me, you know, just, I see that hand. Um, but how do you look back on those moments and say, but what if God was doing something there? What if God did do something on that mountain? What if I understand it completely different now, but how do I trust that God was working then and that God will work now in different ways? How do I be gracious to myself that God showed up there and God will keep showing up in my life? How do we be grateful for the people that showed up in our life before? I remember a few years back, I was just in a season with my wife where we were just in intense therapy and it just was one of the moments where we were just going to trudge the bottom of the lake and we were going to look at all of the stuff. We had been married for 15 years and there's some things that had built up because, you know, 15 years of two human beings. And there was a lot of beauty and there was a lot of good, but there was also moments to say, hey, there's some things that need to be healed. And I remember just being in those moments, and I'll always remember sitting in Arlington Garden right over here on the road and just sitting with a friend and just weeping for an hour. Just weeping for an hour and having somebody, I remember it was like in the middle of COVID, so he had like his like mask, like handkerchief thing on. I had like snot going everywhere, like just like one of those like ugly cries where like you can't bring it together, you know, you like, you kind of like look up, make eye contact with your friend again and start all over because um, you're just carrying so much in the world. I remember him giving me like his mask, which is super gross, and just like blowing my nose with it, right? <laughs> and now I wash it and I like have it like on a little desk as a reminder. It's super gross, but you get the point, you know? And it's a reminder for me of how that season was really difficult. My wife and I put in a lot of work. And it was just a different season of our life where we got to deal with some things maybe that we hadn't dealt with before. And it makes our marriage even stronger and better and healthier moving forward. And whenever I look at that gross little handkerchief, it's a reminder for me of, oh, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I was the God who was even there for you then. The moment when you thought, maybe your marriage actually won't make it. And when you had to surrender, when you had to let go, when you had to look at some of your own demons, Corey, is when you actually healed. And I was with you the entire time. So we trust that God has been in our past. When we find gratitude for what God is doing there. And when we trust that God has been in our past, then maybe God can be in our present. And the story goes on. 
And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I'm going to pause there a second. It's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. A powerful verse of God just saying, I have seen and I have heard your suffering. And I think for many of us, we just need that reminder that there is a God out there who is not absent, who is not playing games with us, who is not trying to trick us, who simply sees and hears the pain that we're going through. That doesn't mean that the outcome that you want, you're going to get it. That doesn't mean that the exact things that you pray for, it's all going to happen in a very specific way. What if it's just simply that, that there is a God who sees and hears where you're at, the gift of being a pastor, is that you are invited into people's lives, that you get to sit with people in their suffering and in their pain. And it's just been one of those weeks. It's been like a month kind of in this community where I've kind of gotten call after call after call. Ugh. And I'm grateful to know that, that in those moments as I hear you that we get to remind one another that there's just a God that says, I see it, and I hear it, and I know you're suffering, and you're not alone. Sometimes it's that version of God that hurt you so much, and maybe you need to let that version of God go. And maybe there's a way bigger version of God out there for you. I've sat with some of you over the last month, and it's just those relationships. And I know it's so hard. I've sat in families that are broken. And I'm grateful that we get the space to remind one another that there's just a God out there who sees and who hears and who is with us. And the invitation of God is always that God invites us into this mission, that we get to be a part of this work of God together, that if God can be with us in the past and God can be with us in our present, whether that's good or bad or indifferent and everything in between, then God can also give us a future. And the verse goes on. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then the next part is weird. Canaanite Samurai, you get the thing. (laughs) Maybe some of us just need that reminder in this room today. That what if God does have a future for us? Not in like the evangelical version of like Jeremiah, whatever the bumper sticker is, and everything's going to be perfect. (laughs) But what if God just has a future for us? What if we get to live into that hope that we can trust that God has been there in the past, that I've been going through things in the present, and that I can see again and again and again the way that God shows up? And what if God has a Mars for us to go to? What if God has a purpose for us to go to, a home for us to go to? What if when things don't work out, you never even knew it, but there was another church that you've been talking to for you for a year, and they're going to open their doors for you? That sometimes life does give you lemons and you make lemonade. That sometimes you don't think that things are going to work out, but that there is hope. And what a gift that we have together. And sometimes I feel that in the world of liberalism and progressivism and deconstruction and all the world that we live in and I live in every day, we forget hope that we are so busy burning things down because there's so many things worth being angry at. 
There are so many systems that have hurt people and we should continue to be mad at those things and frustrated at those things and we should build a new home together. And we should trust that there's a better way forward, that the hope of the world is not burning it all down. It's what will be planted out of those ashes. And together we are planting those things. That even if you're in a space in life right now where you can't figure it out and you don't know what's next and you never thought a conversation about trash would mean that you're no longer going to be in your space any longer. But there's a new opportunity ahead. There's more spacious land forward. A land flowing with something different. That God wants to use the purposes that we have, the lives that we have, and that that's a gift. And that the story goes on. So I've come, yep, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I love the transition in the story here, because the beginning of the story, Moses is having a vision, whatever's going on there, right? Psilocybins or something. And then... Um, that's like funny for like half some of you the rest of you are like I don't know what's going on there it's totally okay it's not a big deal um, Moses had this great vision and we all want that moment right how many of us prayed out to God and in those moments we asked God for a neon sign or for something big or for God to do the big work Have any, am I the only one anyone ever been there like God please show up in this way and then have you ever like prayed for the thing God shows up and like now God invites you to do something about it you're like well I didn't sign up for that I wanted you to deal with my spouse. I wanted you to deal with my children. I wanted you to deal with my toxic work environment. I wanted you to deal with my parents. I wanted you to do these things. You want me to be in this story? Who am I? (laughs) Me? No, you're God. And that's always the story of Scripture that's so beautiful. That God invites us to be co-liberators and co-creators. This just isn't a story about God doing all of the work. We use this phrase in here all of the time. Many of us came from the world of church that was codependency, where we just live at the blood of Jesus and God does the magic and we say the prayer and then we just wait for the rapture to happen. Come on, Jesus. Yeah, that sounds good. I don't know. But that's not the story. And the story is not over here sometimes in the world of, no, you don't need God anymore. You're too smart for that. You figured it out. You've heard the blogs, and now it's just all of you on your own. No, the story is of interdependence. It's not codependence, and it's not independence. It's a story where we both work together with God. That even from the earliest story, that God makes us co-creators with, with God. And now in this story that God is reminding Moses, yes, your entire journey, all the things that you've been through, the reason that you're going to be in the wilderness and in Midian for 40 years is because now I'm going to use you to go take the people of God into the wilderness for 40 years. 12-step groups know this, that you know that if you are an alcoholic or drug addict or sex addict, I was in 12-step rooms and I've been in 12-step rooms for 15 years of my life. That it's all about that you go find the work, that you do the surrender, that you find the healing so that you can take to the, the message to the alcoholic in need or whatever the thing is in need. The 12th step actually says this. It's coming. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. The idea is this. You cannot get what you do not have. And so you do the work, you go to the therapist, you take care of yourselves, you don't avoid the wilderness, you sit in it, and you figure out what God has for you there, and you invite other people into it, and you spend time with other good people there, and you figure out where you're at so that you can go take the journey to other people. 
Because sometimes we tell the story of the promised land that it's just all about us. This isn't just about your promised land. This is about inviting other people into it as well. That the best version of our purpose and mission in the world is that when we find it, that we empower others to be the best versions of themselves. That's the gift of mission that we're invited into. The story of God is told in a bunch of different ways. It's why when Jesus came, he didn't ask a bunch of people to be believers or believers. Is that when Jesus came, that was so subtle. That was quick. Like my mind, I wasn't, like, I wasn't even ready for it. So that you were as great. Jesus asked for a bunch of followers. That Jesus is inviting us to participate in the story. This is what's going on here. Uh, I'm a coach for little kids for baseball. And uh, I, love, I love it because you get to develop little kids, right? And my baseball team is, like, they're eight-year-olds, so they're all kinds of different places. You have some kids that when they get up to bat, they're just going to hit it every time. There's other little kids, when they get up to bat, I am not quite sure they know what sport that they're playing. <laughs> and that's okay. Like, I could literally put, like, a, you know, like a handkerchief on them spinning around, they might as well be hitting a pinata or something. It's just, it's just absolutely crazy. But the gift of being their coach is that every kid is just in a different place, and they need different things. They need different words of affirmation and different kinds of encouragement and different types of development. And I think the thing that we're being invited into here is that God knows your specific story of your past. God knows your specific story of your present. God knows your specific story of a land flowing with milk and honey that you're going to move into. And would you trust that God's going to develop you exactly where you're at, exactly for what you need, exactly at the level of humanity that you're in? Would you trust that and that you're going to get through this thing and that you're going to evolve and that you're going to heal and that you're going to transform and that you're going to mature and then God's going to invite you into something else later? That God is with us every step of the way as human beings. That God is with us in our past, that God is with us in our present, and that God is with us in our future. That God is inviting us into a mission that is a mission that is far beyond ourselves. God first wants us to be able to heal and take care of ourselves. If you cannot love yourself, it will be impossible to love your neighbor. Your spiritual maturity cannot outpace your emotional maturity. That you must do the work. And as you do the work, as you find the healing, as you go to your Mars and to your promised land, eventually you will bring others along with you as well. That mission is not something that we do on our own. Mission is something that we are doing together. Mission is something that God has for all of us. And it is a gift. And so, no, Abby, this week, may you live a life of freedom. May you live into your greatest purpose and into your greatest mission. Would you trust that there is a God who has been in the story of humanity from the very beginning and that this God will carry us to the very end? Would you trust that there has been a God that has been in your past every step of the way? Would you remember those moments of gratitude? Would you write them down? Would you tell them to somebody else? Would you put a note in your phone that God was here once so that God can continue to show up in the present of my life as well? Would you trust that wherever you're at in this moment, today, in this hour, in this minute, in this second, that God is there with you? That God is going to fight for you and give you a future and a vision? Would you trust that whatever is ahead, may you know that God will not just only be with you, but for you and ahead of you in everything that you do? And would you trust that as God heals you and transforms you, that as God is inviting you into the story to co-liberate so that you can bring liberation and freedom to others as well? Would you find those same three or four people and have this conversation with one another? 
What's one step you can take towards your mission? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.